Welcome to Authorized, a podcast where we delectably read the novelization of any film fortunate enough to have one. Novelizations imitate the jubilant eccentricity of a beloved author whose humanistic goofiness they are tasked with resurrecting. Finding humor in how disjointed and thrown together their story is, these books build a vibrant world that makes little sense and much whimsy. Novelizations are a small chocolate with bells and whistles aplenty. We are your hosts, a loose coalition of novelization enthusiasts. My name is Andrew Overby. And my name is Hannah Blackman, and we decided to cover this book mere days ago. We de- de- decreed, well, tell them, what the, tell them what the movie is, then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay, I will. Thank you. Good idea. Wonka is a 2023 musical fantasy film. Written by and directed, I mean partially written and fully directed Mm. by Paul King. Mm. It follows Willy Wonka, a young man who longs to sell chocolate in a tired, cynical world. Now, you're, of course, when you're tries- of course uh, d- yeah. doing my little embellishments I've, here. The, the reason that this yeah, needs to be explained I'm is... I'm imitating Go ahead. The, the, the color and whimsy added to this text by Andrew Overby in homage to what is happening in the book we're about to discuss. Of course, the book we're about to discuss, just to give you a taste, the book has a lot of randomly capitalized, emboldened words. Yep, for emphasis, mm. and not always in a way that matches the meaning of the word. Absolutely, and also, if you're going to do that, <laughs> why not make them colorful? Probably budget, but it felt half-assed to me. Did you get a hard copy? Oh, yeah. Oh, fascinating. Okay, cool, because I had a Kindle book, and my Kindle's black and white, and I assumed, like, maybe... Nope. They are, just, okay. they are just font variations. Wow, wasteful. When Willie tries to pursue his dream in an unnamed European-esque city, he finds himself simultaneously bullied by its old money chocolatier elites and imprisoned by its desperate lower class hoi polloi. Can Willie make a name for himself in a metropolis that seems to reject his presence? Or will his virtuoso chocolate skills go unknown as he is forced or even killed into obsurity? That's a good one. I love that. Thanks. Killed I, into obscurity. Killed into I, obscurity is a pretty good, it's just a pretty yeah. good phrase. <laughs> yeah, it's really, uh, tattoo it somewhere. Yep, you've basically nailed it. So it is Shebail. 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 Anyway, Shebail Pounder wrote this dang book based on the screenplay by Simon Farnaby, a guy I adore, and Paul King, also good, and the story by Paul King. It was published by Penguin Books in 2023. Who, who's Farnaby? You know Farnaby? Simon Farnaby is also an actor. He's in the film Wonka as Basil the Zoo Guard. Oh. And uh, if you, like me, at one point was like, I'm going to watch Horrible Histories, and then you were like, I'm going to follow those people into Yonderland, and then you were like, boy, ghosts on BBC is hella good. <laughs> You've seen a lot of Simon Farnaby. Okay, this is the first I'm hearing of him, and it's wonderful to know that that man who gives a great performance in this movie uh, yeah. had, a, had a hand in, in crafting it from the jump. Hannah, you funny. referenced that we are doing an emergency episode. Now, emergency, it's a little ironic, it's a little not. It's like we are doing an emergency episode in the sense that we did not plan to do an episode on Wonka. And then, no. on some level, I feel a responsibility as novelization-ist 
podcasters to, well, that made it, makes it sound like I write them, as novelization podcasters, it is sort of our responsibility, I feel, to pay attention to the ones that are still coming out because they're so few yeah. and far between. Now, unfortunately, and I won't reveal all of the titles, but this has led to, in, including Wonka and two other novelizations that we're going to be covering in the first half of 2024, this has led to us lining up the novelization of a movie, Wonka, where I unprompted said to someone uh, a week or two ago, you'd have to pay me to see that movie, and even then I'd consider not going. And <laughs> us doing a movie in February that I said, that movie seems too gross and I'll never see it. And then uh, in April, us doing a novelization of a film that everyone despises uh, by a filmmaker I don't like at all. So, fun. Fun. But here we are today covering a recent release, Topical. I, I walked into Barnes & Noble uh, to get many of my Christmas gifts uh, before heading to my parents for the holidays, and I was confronted with uh, a display that had this very shiny Wonka book. And I thought to myself, okay, this is not necessarily the sort of thing our podcast would cover because many, you know, children-aimed movies get novelizations. You know, this will probably be 90 pages long, uh, eight of them with these color photos that aren't really photos. They're cast shots on PowerPoint slides or whatever. You know, sort of Sonic the Hedgehog style or the Emoji Movie style. Uh, we're not, it, 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 it's not fun to do these things that are written for six-year-olds. Uh, but the thing mm. about this book is it's 300 fucking pages long. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. And the, the fact that it has big print and the fact that it has these words that will be even bigger print, you know, uh, the Willie slid down the chute or whatever and slid will be size 32 font. Uh, it doesn't really take away from the fact that it's a 300 fucking page Wonka book. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you texted a picture to all of us. And I said, I guess we got to cover that. And you were like, do we? And I was like, <laughs> do we? And we decided we did. Well, Hannah, I've tipped my hand in the sense that I revealed that I found the idea of this film repulsive when it was being, uh -huh. uh, when it was announced, when it was being marketed. Mm -hmm. how, how did you feel about the upcoming film Wonka? Well, this is something I kind of wanted to ask you because like, I have no relationship to Willy Wonka as a concept. I never read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or The Glass Elevator or any of the Roald Dolls as a child. I've seen the Gene Wilder movie maybe once in my whole life. Mm. I don't care about it at all. It means nothing to me. I saw the Johnny Depp one, and it also, I didn't like it. It meant nothing to me. So this just all, se this seemed like a huge dumb choice. Like, why bother? This seems yeah. really stupid to me. I was not interested in it. The first trailers came out, and I was like, not only does this look bad but <laughs> timothy chalamet looks horrible yeah. like he's giving a really bad performance mm -hmm, mm -hmm. why would you cast him in a whimsical slightly sinister part mm -hmm. what the fuck is well this? the answer is that he won't play the sinister part at all at all and that's somehow worse for his performance in my opinion absolutely oh absolutely like if he was allowed to be a little bit scary i think i'd be like okay maybe i see why you hire chalamet for this but he's so bad at the whimsy and the fun and the goofball. Well, at least of it. he's he can terrible. sing. 
Yes. No, I'm kidding. I thought his singing was. He has an okay voice. No, I thought he was horrible. Kind of charming. I thought he was horrible. <laughs> it's not beautiful singing. I'm a little charmed by somebody who's not very good, but is doing it anyway. I hear you. Except, so I was, I was with the singing. I was on board with it for mm-hmm. about five minutes, and then I realized that every time he sang, I was only having the thought. He has really given it his all. I was only thinking in these extremely <laughs> uh-huh. qualified terms. And I, and I stepped back and I went, stop analyzing this like you're at the high school play. Stop going the football players <laughs> he actually He doesn't need doing. the benefit of your right. doubt. Timothy Chalamet, an actor who has seen wild success. I, I, I have mixed two bad feelings on him in general, but he's doing great. Mm-hmm. I really just sat back and I went, how is this music? And my verdict was... Boringly written, horribly performed by that man. Yeah, I do think the songs are totally unmemorable and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really weak shit where the movie's like, we're going to give you a little hint of pure imagination because we need an emotional moment to hit. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on, that's that's poor form. So anyway, I was like, boo, this movie looks horrific. And then someone was like, it's directed by Paul King, the director of Paddington and Paddington 2. And I was like, damn, the best filmmaker alive? Uh-huh. Shit. If he made this, maybe it's something. But I was still very much on the back foot. Then, like, the reviews came out and everyone was like, we liked it. Timmy's good. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Mm. Went to see it with my mother. And we were both like, it's okay. Three stars. We both cried a little, but I feel like that's manipulation more than real success. Yeah, I'm not here to say that it's a horrible film. I just don't, I, I don't, it, I, similar to you, I don't have the strongest relationship to Willy Wonka. I guess mm-hmm. I had a very intense relationship to both books as a child. I read oh. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I read, I think, basically every Roald Dahl book when I was about 10. And I remember loving and devouring Charlie and the Glass Elevator. I, mm-hmm. I, I was shocked to discover in the lead up to this movie, I, you know, just Googling around, it has never, ever been adapted to the screen. What happens in the glass elevator? I, I would have to refresh myself because, you know, I haven't read it in probably, uh, you know, 18, 19 years. But it basically just picks up at the end of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where they've gone out the top of the glass elevator and Willy Wonka is, it's a good cheat to have him still be a character, even though he has bequeathed the kingdom to Charlie. He goes, yeah, you know, we're still going to give you the chocolate factory, but first let's do a little TARDISing in my glass elevator. I, I, I think that they just go see a bunch of amazing uh, sights and stuff, and maybe that's the problem. If I were to revisit that book, maybe I would find that it is a completely unstructured mess mm-hmm. uh but i was enchanted mm-hmm. by it as a kid um and th- this is a very pre sort of the current zeitgeist feeling but i I've, I've i've felt no friction ever with having different opinions of the book and the movie i liked the movie i didn't feel like it was as good as the book and then with the johnny depp one even i thought hey it's doing some interesting things it's pretty it's a lot worse than the book but i'm glad people are taking swings <laughs> at this right Sure. There is none of that like, uh, oh, they fucked it up so badly, which I would probably feel <laughs> about an adaptation of one of my favorite books these days, right? But I, yeah, I kind of like the Depp one, uh, I, I will say, just because the thing that makes the Wilder performance so exciting 
is that he feels a little unhinged. He feels like a guy who has locked himself away in his factory for 40 years. And <laughs> yeah. Depp goes so far into that. And, and I maintain that the first scene of Depp in the Depp movie, where they show up to the factory and there's the animatronics dancing and the animatronics are breaking and stuff. And Johnny Depp is, is walking around going, oh, fuck, um, it's, fu- it's fine. He's, you know, he's all panicked and stuff. I think that's a hilarious take on the character uh, that kind of falls apart as the movie goes on. But mostly, the reasons I didn't want to see this movie, the reasons I was offended they were making it, is because I was excited for Cruella, and that mm. was horrible. Really frustrating film. Really yeah. frustrating. And and there's an actress I love. I, I, I like Emma Stone a lot. And for them to go, okay, now we're doing it with Willy Wonka, and Willy Wonka is Timothy Chalamet, someone I, I don't get. I don't get the appeal of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bad. I mean, I was not excited about Cruella. Don't like Emma Stone very much. And that movie's okay. Mm-hmm. It has some things in it. Um, I think Wonka makes all the same mistakes as Cruella, where it like won't let these people be bad at all. Yes, yes, yes. When both of them are kind of bad. Like, it's very hard to get to the end of Wonka and be like, and now what? He's made a bunch of friends. He's won over the city. And now he's going to lock himself in a factory yes. for 40 years? It doesn't make any sense. Well, I, I, you know, I was thinking about the movie that you would need to make in mm-hmm. order to bridge Wonka to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I'm sorry, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, as the first film was called. Uh, And it sounds like a thrilling film. You need to have him experience a professional calamity on such a level that he loses all of his optimism. It's his revenge of the Sith and locks himself (laughs) away. And then his only Mm. recourse is for he and Hugh Grant to go back to Oompa Loompa Island and basically create an insurrection so he can have a workforce. Sounds like a great film. (laughs) I would rather watch that than the movie I was given. I mean, I think the basic premise of the movie as it exists makes no goddamn sense and is really boring. They're like, it's an origin story for Willy Wonka. He arrives in the movie. He's already a chocolatier. Yes. We don't get to see him learn how to make chocolate or, you know, curate and collect all of his exciting ingredients. Yes. He drops all these fun hints about like yetis and, you know, exhibitions and all these exciting places and weird things he's seen. And we don't get to see any of that. Why? It's so bizarre to me. There's so many things to dig into there. The one I'm going to latch on to is <laughs> what if this movie is just kind of boring? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. Uh, uh, pretty devoid of momentum. There's a couple legitimate mm-hmm. laughs, a couple performances that are super funny, but it's all mm-hmm. tied together by this really nothing performance by, I'm going to say, both Willy and Noodle. <sighs> yeah, though I do think Timothy Chalamet is bad. He never won me over to being like, this is good, actually. And Noodle, I don't know this actress. I don't know if she, she felt to me like a child actor who had never acted before and really didn't have the naturalism that you want. feel bad to say it. No, I I was sitting around before we got on mic. I was thinking, I think I have to do it for my critical integrity. I think I have to come for a child on this episode. (laughs) An unknown actress child. 
I mean, I'm sorry to do it because I know it's hard to be a child, right? <laughs> Super hard. Uh, it's hard to be a child actor. Oh, my God. She's been in things. Anything I would know. She was, um, she was in Junebug mm. 2020. Don't know That's that. Never film. heard of that. Never mind. No, I mean, this is, this is definitely, this is definitely like her first major role. I think that's true. Uh, and she's cute. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I wish she had a little bit more magic, mm-hmm. though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nope. Unfortunately, I'm with you. Which it makes it hard for the rest of the film. The, the movie is just, is just kind of an airless drag that is so full of mm-hmm. ideas. I think that's what has been fascinating me about it in the six hours since I've seen it. I think is <laughs> that at no point was I going, it's so boring, kill me, let me out of the theater, I hate doing this podcast. It was just, <laughs> be, and I think it's because each scene has Willie having all these chocolates that are essentially gadgets, and it's just brimming with ideas, and even when the ideas aren't that interesting or clever, like, let's just do a giraffe subplot or whatever. It's such an out-of-left-field thing that my brain is occupied, right? We're going from the weird dynamic between uh, the whatever their names are, the two people imprisoning Willie to suddenly yep. giraffe politics or whatever. So, <laughs> it, it, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I just felt like it was kind of momentumless. But each scene I was going, this is sort of interesting. And it never got to the point where I went, this is, I'm really into this or I'm, you know, anything like that. Yes. Yeah. I wasn't like checking my watch. Before we dive into the book, let's talk about yes. the absolutely criminal thing Going on on the spine of the book. Now, you don't have a physical copy, Hannah. I do not. Hannah, I'm going to hold this up to the camera. Okay. okay. Copy of title of the book, Wonka. See that? Wonka. Check yes. this out. What am I supposed to be seeing? The name on the spine. Yeah, Roald Dahl. I mean, that's a lie. That's a lie. Okay. Yes, this, that's true. Roald Dahl. That's a straight up lie. Roald, the spine of this book has mm-hmm. a publisher's name or the distributor or whatever. It has the name Wonka, and it has in the biggest type of all of those things, Roll Dahl. Now, yes, he should be credited. He created this world. He created this character. Uh-huh. But he didn't write this book. And someone else wrote this book. Big time. And we see sometimes authors excluded from the spines of their books, from the covers of their books, because they're tie-in media. No one cares about the author. I get that. You should not be able to put a different author on the book. I agree. I do think that it is um, deceptive. Very deceptive. I mean, especially if in the future, as one thinks perhaps one might, you go to your local bookstore and you're in the child section and you are like, well, uh, I want to pick up uh, a Roald Dahl book. I would expect that it would be in, that this novelization would be in the section with the Roald Dahl books. And you might be tricked. And that would be a damn ass shame. Well, even if it isn't meant to be in the section with the Roald Dahl books, they've created a book that will get incorrectly filed across planet Earth. Yes. Because the spine of the book has a different author's name. The front of your book says, like, inspired by Roald Dahl, right? Yes, yes. And then in very, very small print, the actual writer of this book. Yes. 
Yeah, no, I hate that. I think it's really deceptive. And I noticed that. Uh, I also think it's weird. I'm sure that you have this as well. How Willie became Wonka, the journey of an incredible story, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is like in the first few pages of mine, starts by saying, here's who Willy Wonka is, a creation of Roald Dahl. Then it's like, here's who Paul King is, which like, what child cares about that? Then here's Simon Farnaby. Kind of weird. Like, yes, definitely yes. deserves some credit as a co-writer, but like another person that kids don't give a shit about. And then finally, the actual author of this book that you're about to read gets a paragraph. Gets a paragraph. Yeah. Weird. Incredibly fucked up. Yeah, I don't... I don't appreciate it. it and I also think that this book, I haven't read a lot of Roald Dahl, mm -hmm. but I read Matilda a shit ton of time. And I think that this book does not have the, the, doll, the doll magic. You know, it doesn't really have the touch that I associate with Roald Dahl's writing and characters and creations. I wonder if on that point mm -hmm. we are going to meet in the middle because... I haven't read one of his books in a long time. I have no intention yeah. of saying that this is as good as one of his books or that it could pass as one of his books. But I think that for a pretty terrible screenplay, mm -hmm. she's done the work of adapting this into something that feels like it could exist in the same universe as doll characters. Okay, yeah, sure. I, I, I feel as if there are, there are little... Uh, stop downs for sentimentality little little jokes of language in this that at least are mm -hmm. saying you know uh th this is they're, they're connecting back to this is still a creation of that man even if it's the grandchild yeah that's fair okay see like i trust you to know better than me i think for me so much of what i associate with Roald doll is the like goofy language whimsy mm -hmm. and that he has kind of a mean soul yes, in some ways. Yes. Like there's some real meanness in his stories. And I feel like this story and book is working really hard to be nice. Agreed. Agreed. No, and I, it feels as though they had no interest, like we said, in showing Wonka as a sinister guy or in showing any of the sort of negativity or ugliness. You know, there's a fairy tale logic to Dahl. And... and uh, it, it, with the flights of childish whimsy also come the grip of childish fear, right? And yeah. this film, and I credit it to the film because I really think Chabelle Pounder is just adapting the film and can't can't throw in terrors of the mind, right, that are not inherent to this very goofy screenplay. Sure, yeah. There's one moment in both the film and the book that I think approximates the feeling of a doll line and it's i'm gonna paraphrase it but it's mm -hmm. uh we could never get in there it's it's guarded by a crooked priest and 200 chocoholic monks and i thought like that's perfect because it's it's just extra absurd it has that element of playing on real addiction playing on alcoholism that I feel like Dahl would do sometimes where he'd be like, here's like sort of a winky joke for the adults. Uh, and the the rest of the story doesn't play with that at all. It doesn't ever yeah. deal with adult themes. And it also never goes as absurd as that one line of dialogue is. 
Let me use that to seg into what I found, what really made clear to me how much, how soft this book was, right? And I was surprised to discover when I went to see the movie that Mrs. Scrubbit drinks a shit ton of gin. Mm, mm -hmm, She is an alcoholic mm -hmm. woman. And that Willy Wonka's good night out chocolates Mm -hmm. are about booze, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which are totally excised from this book. Um, in a way that I was like, what are we, babies? Roald Dahl would have been talking about gin. It's a nasty thing that adults do, and those adults can be cruel to children. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it felt like a really cowardly thing to me. I felt like the partied out chocolate, which is a huge plot point in the movie and the book, was done better in the book. Mm. The partied out chocolate, as described in the book takes you through the stages of partying. And they are, it is described in emotional terms. Now, I hadn't seen the movie at this point, so I didn't realize that this was a whitewashing of alcohol, right? And yes. it was very satisfying to me, the idea that the, the chocolate has you start off by anticipating a party being excited for a party you get to the party you're you're dancing you're having a great time and then as the night goes on you get emotional you get forlorn uh and then eventually you go to sleep the movie puts too fine a point for me on the fact that this is a roofie with extra steps which it it, which it (laughs) is in the book it is i mean i obviously i realized i realized that in the book but i thought to myself in the book this is a very clever de-sinistering of a roofie, right? To have it be, look, the victim is having so much fun. They're reconnecting with a love from their past, all this stuff. And then in the movie, the fact that every stage is, now they're having champagne, now they're having white wine, now they're having red wine, now they're having whiskey. It was too real. I was going, oh, you've you've (laughs) drugged this person. Wow, fascinating. Uh, I mean, I also read the book before seeing the movie. I also thought the party chocolate in the book. I was like, this works for me emotionally. It's funny. It's fine. On the note of like the balance of this, this one's a little bit for the grownups. The list of like, here's the the alcohols you might imbibe and how they affect your mood, mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. in combination. I was like, yeah, yeah, I've had red wine too late at night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to call an ex and see what happens. Like, <laughs> it made me laugh. Maybe it's partially the performance that Simon Farnaby doing doing a really funny bit yes. in the movie. And maybe that's that carried it through for me as like, this is... This is harmless and charming and a sort of relatable, like, ah, yeah, that's how it is late at night after too many mixed drinks. Both implementations of the party drug (laughs) in in the book have uh, Wonka monologuing along with it him and a wonka explainer mm-hmm. both iterations have him yeah. going now they're doing this now they're doing this and then he ends both by going there you go partied out which i thought was sort of a funny button the second time in the movie because they're using cinematic language to go you know what this thing does the second time simon farnaby takes it in the movie they show him open the box and then they show him out cold and i went that's too roofy don't do that <laughs> okay fair it did make me laugh. And definitely some part of him being like, I'm going to call her. No, no, no. That's crazy. I'm going to do it. <laughs> like, really got me. Good. To jump into the text here. 
Let's do it. On the second page, I got something I like. They were talking about yeah. Willie living on this dang boat with his mom, Sally Hawkins. Yeah, dropping the backstory way early instead of where it appears in the film. They never really explain why he lives on a boat, huh? No. Okay. Uh, no. I mean, they don't explain what he does in his seven years of adventuring or what happened to his fucking mom. She died. Great. <laughs> like, who cares? You know, they're just playing fast and loose. Yeah, they're just like, you get it. The very first line is, some children are born to be chocolate makers. This was certainly true of Willy Wonka. That's nice. Second page, something I actually really like. Uh, It says, everything about the beginning of this story is small. The small boy, the small quantity of chocolate, the small boat, and the small family who lived aboard it. Willy Wonka's family was almost as small as a family could be. There was Willy, of course, and his mother. They moored their small boat on a quiet stretch of the river and... Stretch. Stretch. Yeah, there's all these capitalized (laughs) words. And as not many people from town ventured there, they often had the lush riverbank all to themselves. It was one of Willie's favorite places. I feel like if if I was a child, this is evocative enough that I'm going. Uh, This is not where I expected this story to begin. And it's painted a picture. I'm there with Willy Wonka on a boat. Why the heck is he on a boat? I agree. I also like that little everything is small and cl- like boop, 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 boop. oh, it, incredible. That's, that's a nice sort of dollism touch to me. I don't know if that's accurate, but it felt like the sort of sentence structure that you sometimes get. The sort of world building he does is that true? I don't know because I haven't. As <laughs> I, I was obsessed with those as a kid, but I haven't read them in so yeah. long. My okay. m- metric for judging this book and and the reason that I found the language charming is just because. It was engaging in this sort of intelligently designed uh, prose for children, which mm-hmm. we we so rarely see. We we often see yes. a novelization that's just you know written for adults or something written for kids in, in an insulting way, right? And the yes. the fact that this is weaving in sort of fairy tale esque wording and 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 sentimentality i don't really know if it's true to doll i just think it's neat i agree that it's neat i i so appreciate a children's story that uses big words i think kids are smart and capable of handling both big words and big concepts and i liked to see a lot of them here there's one later in the book where i was like the kid no kid knows this word yes Oh my God, that's exactly it, Andrew. That's exactly <laughs> the down. word. What is that word? Concertina. <laughs> I, I literally Concertina'd. just, I, I said concertinade when I read it, and I'm still saying it. It's concertina. Um, well, what is it, though? It's basically like accordion. Mm-hmm. It's like smushed, I think. But I had to like double check because I was like, no kid. I know what a concertina is. It's a musical instrument. I don't know like that. Like concertina. We're living differently. Um, well, I'm very... Worldly. Smart. Mm. And worldly. Yes. Uh, a concertina is to extend, compress, or collapse in like the folds of a concertina. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whew. Yeah. So that's exactly the word. Um, but I, I love and appreciate that stuff. I have a little line here that I really, really liked, which is on the next page for me in my Kindle. Willie's imagination would one day become as famous as his chocolate, but before it belonged to the world, it was small and new and belonged only to him, which I think is sweet. 
and a lovely concept to give children. Yeah, it's really wonderful. That like you have something that's yours and it's good and it can be great and you should be proud of it immediately is lovely. I thought you were going to read this line right at the begin at the beginning of that page, which is Willie's favorite part that being of his environs was the gigantic willow tree with its thick branches that swooped low over the boat before dipping into the river. He thought of the tree as another member of the family, a twiggy old protector of their small but grand life. Mm. First few pages of this book are throwing heat. Yeah. Well, uh, there, there's, yeah, yep. The whole little child backstory with his sweet mom, Sally Hawkins, mom of all time. I've talked to you about this before, and I'll decide in the edit whether I want to keep it or not. But uh-huh. there's just something with me where I see Sally Hawkins in prestige movies or whatever, uh, and I go, Sally Hawkins, wonderful actress, beautiful woman. I see Sally Hawkins in Paddington or Wonka, and I'm like, I'm too attracted to this. Why only in <laughs> these? Because she's a good, wholesome loving whimsical mother i think you're having like a mommy thing i guess i guess the paddington sally hoggins that's i gotta go to therapy about Uh, that i it's okay so i went to see wonka and can after spending weeks being like mom we have to watch paddington 2 it's a christmas movie it's beautiful paddington 2 paddington 2 and uh she was like i'm not into that at all we went to see wonka i sat her down and i said if you like this movie 40 percent we're watching paddington 2 tonight yeah and she did. So we did. And she loved it. And it's the best. And I walked out of Paddington too, going like, boy, I hope I get to marry a Hugh Bonneville someday. <laughs> so like, there's something special happening in the Paddington family that's very appealing. I refuse. Uh, I'll say it here. I didn't like this movie very much, but Paul King, you made Paddington too. You are forgiven of all things. Yeah, of course. I of course. refuse to ever let the over-evaluation of Paddington 2, the over-appreciation of Paddington 2, warp or change my perspective of it. It's it's so, mm-hmm. it's got, it's achieved this cultural level where so many people talk about how it is a tearjerker, how it is a perfect movie, and so many people have memed it in some way. Where I heard someone mm-hmm. on a podcast who uh, works for a movie studio, they said, I ask people to revise jokes about Paddington 2 out of their scripts now because I feel that it's become hack. And sure. I just, I just, I'm never going to let it happen. Even if it's the most popular movie in the world and, and there's a giant backlash at some point, it's a, it's a perfect object. <laughs> yeah, this is, I, I hadn't watched it in a few years and I was like, I've really hyped this movie up to my family. Yeah, you know, yeah. what if? With a little distance, it doesn't hold up in the way that I believe that it does. It did. And then it did. It was just amazing. And I cried, and my dad cried, and my mom cried, and my uncle, who is such a Grinch <laughs> about everything, was like, that was a really sweet movie. And I was like, yeah. And we should hold Paddington in our hearts all year round. The the ending of that movie is, <sighs> I mean, it should be it should be studied. Like, I feel like I... It, if anyone, sh- I mean, it- if anyone feels like I'm just like doing, you know, if I'm if I'm doing really trite material here, it's just all <laughs> true. It's earnest. The end of that thing is like how it doesn't even make sense that it hits that hard. Yeah, because it. So, it oh first of all, 
Yeah. It's predictable. <laughs> you kind yes. of know that they have that card and they can always play it. And that, that would be, on some level, you know, it would be weird if they didn't play it. If, he, if the movie ended with him going, I finally found the perfect present for my aunt, and I'll be sending it off now, I'd kind of go, oh, I thought she was going to show up. <laughs> but yeah. the fact that it's somehow just, it's some combination of, of vocal performance and imagery, it just, it just it's, a, it's a chemical Pavlovian response. Just thinking about it gives me the shivers and activates my emotions. I'm going to have to rewatch it now. It's the best. It's so good. I mean, it's also... So my family had never seen Paddington 1. And I was like, I, I can't... Like, the basic story is that Paddington's Aunt Lucy sends him to England and then he gets adopted by an English family. And I was like, I can't explain Aunt Lucy. I can't really explain Pastuzo. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. what happens? Like, uh, you just kind of... Just, like, go with it. And then the movie does all the work for you. Like, it gives you enough Aunt Lucy that, like, you really, like, love her as well. And you feel how much Paddington loves her. And, and that it doesn't undercut how much he loves his new family, yes. too, or how much they yes. love him. Like, it's a really magical alchemy and balance of emotions and care for, like, a little child mm, bear. Mm -hmm. And also that bear is so well animated that when he gets to hug his aunt and he's like got watery, teary eyes, I'm like sobbing. Yeah. I would die for Paddington. Back to Wonka. No, I, I'll just end this Segway. by saying Segway. no one has ever been more up a creek than the not Paul King guy directing Paddington in Peru. He's just, you can't, you can, he's not going to be able to do that again. And he's going to be compared to it definitionally. <sighs> yeah. Good luck. Good luck, for sure. Good luck to that man. I would die for Paddington Bear, though, so. Segwaying back into Wonka, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is trying to pull many of the same cards emotionally. Yes. The relationship with the mom, the way he is sad inside mm. <laughs> while being optimistic and hopeful, uh, just doesn't land or hit the same way at all. It feels like a really false moment. I think, at least in this type of movie, Chalamet yeah. is actively doing bad acting. I, I like him yeah. in some movies. I think he's fine in Dune. I think yeah. he is exactly, perfectly, transcendently, ex like, what Call Me By Your Name needs. Yes. Mm -hmm. And he just, when he is, God, how to fucking say this? Okay, Willy Wonka, as a character, historically, mm -hmm has been a person capable of irony, capable of cynicism. I mean, the, mm -hmm. the, 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 the line that I'm going to butcher that they just slam back into this movie, you know, whatever it is, so, so lives a good deed in a weary world, the, the Shakespeare line, it, mm -hmm. it is the perspective of a person who realizes the realities of the evils of the world. And is yeah. saying a good deed can make such a difference. Now, so you say, okay, Tim Timothy Chalamet playing Willy Wonka. I go, not my top choice, but I kind of see what you're going for there. Because every time that guy shows up in anything, you know, the uh, l uh, Little Women, uh, especially Little Women, it's just, oh, oh the, what a fuck boy, what a what a <laughs> you know yes. what a what a what a privileged piece of shit. And I I think, okay, if they're gonna do Sinister Wonka, if they're gonna do 
uh, cynical Wonka, maybe that's the thing to lean into, the same way Depp leans into his creepiness. To go, he's straight ahead just the best person ever, and... He's a naive baby. (laughs) He's incapable of irony, and he's Timothy Chalamet. No. No. Not believable for one moment. It's a terrible use of him. And I think when he is playing sad and playing sincere, he's fine. Mm -hmm. It is believable. When he's asked to do the, like, chocolate speeches, the, like, funny language, the performative, like, things, he's dreadful. Horrible. He's so bad. Horrible. He's horrid. Um, And it really detracts from whatever else might be happening in any given scene. I firmly believe that this book is better than the movie. And uh here's why. We already sort of touched on it. But in many instances where the movie is just going, he's here now and he's happy and he has these goals. Got it? Shabelle Pounder is actually giving us a little whimsy, a little insight. So page 22, this is when he gets to the, the galleries gourmet where he hopes to start a chocolate shop and, you know, the whole movie will, will revolve around this. The arcade was spectacular and lofty with a lattice ceiling that perfectly framed the winter sky. But Willie soon realized that it was grand in the way grand things tend to be when dreamed up by someone who doesn't do much dreaming. Expensive marble walls, a mosaic floor, gold fittings. As he walked, Willie redecorated it in his mind. Caramel walls. No, that's not quite right. Scratch and sniff walls. Yes, an edible grass floor. Lollipop door handles. He stopped when he reached a fussy shop with a queue out the door. The chocolates in the window were laid out in unimaginative rows, all shaped the same and stamped with a name Willie knew immediately. It was the name of one of the most famous chocolate makers in the world, Slugworth. So, couple things here. Cool insight to say it's a dream from someone who, whose dreaming muscle is, you know, uh, atrophied. And also, this is a song. This is a song in the movie. And... Yeah. It's a song with a lot going on visually. We're, we're seeing what Willy Wonka imagines will happen, which includes lots of confections doing crazy things. Uh, but it's not super apparent watching the movie because there's so much going on, what those crazy things are, what their function is. And mm-hmm. to stop down, to use this opportunity to stop down and go scratch and sniff walls, edible grass floor, lollipop door handles. Good use of book. Agreed. Mm. Agreed. Good stuff. Pretty good stuff. Um, the way in which this book does not engage with song. Yeah. Fast. I had I had heard that Wonka was a musical. Reading this book, I never would have guessed it ever in my life. Well, Hannah, you might be delighted to know that I have once again written down all my guesses of where the songs are, a la our Grease 2 episode. Amazing. And let's see what I had. Page 25, imagining what his shop will be. That's a hit. Uh, let's see. Yes. Uh, remind me of this as one, because so much of the movie is song. Uh, page 72, I, I write down, describing how they all got to the wash house. Is that a song? Um, no, but there is a wash house song. Yeah, there's a wash house song, but it's not that. So that's, that's, a, that. that's a miss. I wrote down 126 when he promises to find Noodle's parents. Mm. So this is a, it's a miss, right? I think that's a miss. I think that I, because you're right, these are so well concealed that they barely ever mm-hmm. 
point out that a song could go there. I think I just started assuming that any emotional overture would be expressed in song. Sure. I mean, there's also a fair number of lines that are like, Willie imagined people tap dancing down the street. And they're like, <laughs> okay, well, that's probably a song. Okay, well, I get it then. <laughs> yeah. 153, this is sort of accidentally right. 153, I say that the thing where the flower vendor gets proposed to Mm-hmm. is a song and i'm right but it's because it's one detail out of a thousand details sprawling song yes well you got some points on that one i got some points on that one just two more to go willie popping up all over town from the sewers which is an absolute yep. hit i sunk your battleship uh and then yep. 150 i don't even remember what this note means please remind me i'll try 158 the dancing chocolate Oh, he creates the chocolate that he feeds to the people on the trolley. And he's like, this is a da- this makes people dance. So if it goes badly, they'll be enclosed, which is part of a song. Incredible. So as, as was the case with Grease 2, mostly hits, a couple misses, but mostly misses if you consider that I fully didn't identify 12 other songs. There's so many songs. It's kind of shocking how many songs there are. Mm-hmm. You really have to listen to him sing yeah. a lot. And honestly, I couldn't possibly hum any of them to you. <laughs> There's this one song that uh, that Paul King and whoever did his music came up with that I'm so impressed with. It's the Oompa Loompa song. And <laughs> how they came up mm. with a, a song so catchy, so I think it's going to become iconic. I mean, I tip my hat to them. <laughs> Yeah, that pure imagination, a really beautiful little bit of music. Um, I will say there is... Oh, what's the song that the evil chocolatiers sing? I could never tell you that. Cho- it's The theme of the, of the song is chocolate is good. They keep saying that, yes. and then later with Keegan-Michael Key, it becomes chocolate is good, this thing you're addicted to, let us control you. Yeah. Anyway, that song, whatever it is, becomes a musical motif which follows the evil chocolatiers around. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, within the context of this movie, I recognized this piece of music. And now, I don't know how that song went at all. Let me ask you a question. Sure. Do you think Wonka is an in-timeline prequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Um... If they didn't make more, because eventually if they make more, it'll sort of shoot off from the timeline in some way. I think it's designed to be like Mm -hmm. a companion film. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. If everyone recognizes Slugworth in this book, like Wonka says, he's been living at sea and he knows who Slugworth is. Yeah. Then the thing in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory where Wonka sends a guy pretending to be Slugworth around to go can you steal me an everlasting gobstopper? Doesn't make sense. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing and I didn't remember it. Yes, yes. So so. So, are these three meanie chocolatiers character names I should know from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? I rewatched the original film a couple days ago and Slugworth, to my memory, is the only one that features and he doesn't even because the twist at the end is that the guy saying he was Slugworth at the end of uh, that film 
uh, Willy Wonka is chewing out Charlie and his grandfather because they're like, we made it through. Do we win? And and Willy Wonka is like, no, just like everyone else, you partook of something I told you not to, which is true. They like drank his mm-hmm. fizzy drink. Yeah. And then it either because it was the real test or because he's just moved when he discovers that Charlie is not going to try to give the gobstopper to the fake Slugworth. He's like, mm. you get the factory. Now, to jump uh. off of this, it feels wrong to make a prequel to this movie and have a thing that makes you float and have it not be the fizzy drink. Yeah. What? What's that? That's very strange. I don't know. It's I mean, I... Anti-continuity. I wonder. So I have not been to a candy store in a long time. I wonder if when you go to a candy store and you can buy Wonka candy, maybe there's some legal thing happening here where mm-hmm. the candy side of the company was like, well, you can't put fucking gobstoppers in your goddamn movie. And they had to just like make up different chocolates, and I wonder if there's something. I uh, know I don't. Uh, I don't with the soda. I don't think it makes sense because it literally is just some. He's basically like, I have fizzy drink that makes you float. <laughs> I don't think car- yeah. big carbonated came for came for Paul <laughs> King. Okay, you make a point. You make a point. Just imagine, Hannah, if I made a Mission Impossible prequel where. <laughs> where Jack pulled a character aside and went, if you need to get out of a pinch, I have this explosive device you can use, you know, uh, red light, green light, and the device was a stoplight. <laughs> You'd be like, we already had that. <laughs> yeah, that would be a little silly and annoying. I hear you. I just, I do think it's a little strange that the Nestle Wonka Candy Company is out there making Wonka-branded candies. Mm, mm. And this movie, like, maybe Paul King has so much integrity. But, like, why aren't there gobstoppers and Laffy Taffy and nerds and shit, like, in this story? That's a terrific point. I have no idea. Yeah, that's just, like, I get that it's supposed to be more magical than that. But it feels like a real missed opportunity to uh, make some additional money. To to pay one compliment to this movie, yeah. I think you know I've been eating a lot of chocolate. I'm a mm-hmm. I'm a and I, I'm I'm basically a, 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 a chief of police, whatever his name was. I I really have a sweets problem, and I I love to eat chocolates. And I have to say that the production design on the jars of chocolate was great. Those things look so pretty. I'd be like, can I eat it? The one that Noodle has that has the lightning bolt isn't so appetizing to me because it straight up doesn't look like confection. It looks like a Uh toy. But any time Willie produces a glass jar of round chocolates, they look Mm -hmm. incredible. They look like like, uh, bouncy balls, like that size, that heft of pure sugar. I mean, the hover chalks that have a little sort of like pistachio shell on them. Yes, yes. Very pretty. (laughs) Very fun and cool. I mean, I do think it's bug nuts crazy that he opens a shop where everything's edible and the people of that town are like, I'm a chomp. I'm a chomp right on it immediately. (laughs) I couldn't imagine behaving that way. (laughs) I I, want to 
bring up, just so I don't forget it, that the book sets up the Yeti sweat thing and the movie doesn't. And I think it doesn't. Uh, Well, there's a montage where he takes the mustache chocolates to a barber shop. And a man says, like, I'm feeling a little thin up there. And he's like, I have just the thing for you. It's part of a song montage. Yes. They come back and those guys have a lot of hair and the, the, the cat Sphinx does. cat has yes. grown a lot of hair, which it's is It's become adorable. a different breed of cat. I giggled. <laughs> oh, it's I funny. Giggled. It was funny. And I, I always appreciate the the gall to do a visual gag like that and go, and uh, we won't be showing it and we won't be paying for that effect. You get it. <laughs> no, I thought that was great, but in the book, a, a great thing that that Pounder adds is that he says to the guy, "This has Yeti sweat in it, which is what allows your hair to grow, and too much of it can be bad." But this has the perfect amount because I'm a great chocolatier. So later in the book, that Chekhov's gun fires, and that's satisfying. I in the movie, think that's go ahead in the movie, but very quickly, he mentions the Yeti sweat. It doesn't have the butt, like in the book, there's a kind of a button on it where a guy goes, but a Yeti? Yeah, yeah. Which really puts a nail in it. Yeah. And that moment is not in the movie. But I do think he's like, ah, yes, the Yeti sweat is in this. Enjoy. And then their hair grows. And like, maybe you don't really clock it, but I do think it's there. Interesting. Okay. I think you're wrong, but you know. Well, I guess we'll have to go see Wonka again. It won't be happening. (laughs) No, it won't. Yeah, I have some notes in here that are just like like funny turns of phrases mm-hmm. that tickled me that I appreciate. Pretty early on, talking about the captain of the ship that Wonka arrives in town on. He was a tall man with a beard as long as his years at sea, which is as long as it takes for hair to grow to your knees. Funny. Funny. Kind of a basic gag, but it get, it cut, that kind of shit gets me. 41, I've got one where... This yeah. is the scene in the movie where Noodle is uh, trying to get him not to sign the contract that will imprison him. And uh, it says, Willie frowned, unable to decipher what she meant. If he ate the contract, he'd choke to death? Well, he knew that already. <laughs> Pretty funny. Pretty funny. At some point, like the the Oompa Loompa of it all, I Mm -hmm. think is sprinkled throughout the book a little bit more than Mm. in the movie where like an hour in, suddenly you're encountering an Oompa Loompa. But like at some point, mine mine says 28% into the book because my Kindle won't let me have page numbers. (laughs) Um, I think when he's first thrown in his cell after being tricked, Mm Mm-hmm. He felt sure he could hear little footsteps, impossibly tiny ones, like the noise a bird would make if it had purchased some nice loafers. <laughs> it's a good <laughs> Which book. I think it's funny. I like it every. Made me laugh. Like, I, I I found it a little tiring to get through this book because it was three hundred pages, but <laughs> it basically had something interesting on every page or something a little funny on every page. Not actually yeah. laughing funny, but just clever. Mm-hmm. There are some things which are the script's fault. That are to- that fall totally flat in the book, mm. I think. Like um, the chocolatier who feels the need to re-explain everything, pro- prod knows, to make everything explicit. Yes. Where they'll be like, we hope he comes across a terrible accident. He'll be like, where he dies. Um, and the book hits it just enough that it's like fucking annoying. It's annoying. And then it has to go through the beat of everyone else going like, you don't have to do that. We all know what we meant. Yeah. Which in the movie happens like fast and is yeah. like pam- ba- banter patter. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the book is a little tiring. 
Agreed. Agreed. I want to circle back to the the gin thing. You saying that the yeah. gin thing uh, was the book babying things down. I mean, it replaces it with something foul and disgusting. Well, that's the thing. I like how weird and foul it is. In the book, the when he gets to this hotel that will uh, keep him prisoner, he is offered a drink. And in the movie, it's a drink of gin. In the book, it is worm water, which is something that these two villains seem to really enjoy drinking. And it's and it goop with worms in it. It seems like they're setting it up to be some sort of plot mechanic. The the amount that they mention worm water and he first takes a sip of the worm water and it, he goes, "Wow, it really looks like there's worms in there." But that couldn't be. And then he drinks it and thinks something definitely just slithered down my throat. For sure. And yep. mm-hmm. yeah, I liked it. I thought I I mean, I don't know if you if maybe you aren't allowed to mention alcohol. We've seen that before. We saw that in Sixth Sense, yeah. right? Sometimes you just yeah. can't do it because they're gonna put it in the kids section of Barnes and Noble where I found it. <laughs> to replace it with something G rated that's nasty as fuck. Like mm-hmm. it feels like a detail from hostel or something. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I appreciate that miss pounder made a choice on that she could have been like offered him a drink period no nothing yeah i appreciate that she was like what if it was the nastiest shit you ever heard of and it makes mrs scrubbit more disgusting yes than she needs to be i think um but it's it's foul it's compelling and she's described as having like teeth that are full of this gunk that she's got like worms living in her mouth basically beetlejuice style mm-hmm. which is disgusting and horrifying terrifying and it's hard to believe that any human being would look at that and go this is fine i'm going to stay here <laughs> this is good yeah i mean i understand that he is a naive idiot baby child how he is that way after 7 years alone in the world I don't know, but he is. Yeah, and we can't even get into the idea that, you know, maybe a mother who teaches her son to chocolatier but not to read is neglectful. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Sally Hawkins, what were you doing out there? Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. she planned to do it later, but like, ma'am, reading is, is pretty important. She wrote him a note when he didn't know how to read. What's up with that? What is what is up with that? Maybe here's what happened. Maybe she was like, this year's chocolate bar for my son. The real gift is that I'm going to teach him how to read Ooh. so that he can read this note. And then she dies of river poisoning way too fast. He's like, I'm going to save this for next week. And then boom, she's gone. I'm sorry to best you, but I have a way better theory that that sinks much better with sort of the the... The attitude of the good, film. Good, which Do is, it, give it. Let's hear it. She knew yes. her son couldn't read. She gave him this chocolate bar towards her time of dying, would be my guess, with this mm-hmm. note. The note's content is the thing about chocolate that matters is not what's in it, but those we share it with. And she's thinking, yes. someone's going to read this to my son, someone very close to him. Oh, yeah. She probably thinks it's going to pop up in a, in a romantic moment or something. Or something. But I do think it's nice that his friend who teaches him to read is the reason he gets to have his mom's message. That's true. That's good. It's good. That's good, Andrew. That's really good. Bring me on for Wonka's. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want it. I don't want it. Okay, I said that the worm water thing didn't pay off, but then I looked at my notes and this the book does have one really great thing, which is in this plot uh, where 
his two jailers, Bleacher and Scrubbit, where he's conning them into falling in love with each other so that they're too distracted to notice him sneaking out. He has successfully gotten them to flirt and they're about to fall into each other's arms and they are basically attracted to each other, but they don't know what to do. And so we have this section that says, Bleacher shifted awkwardly, trying to smile sweetly, but in fact, just baring his teeth. Mrs. Scrubbit, he said, can I just say, your eyes are like two rabbit droppings in a bowl of custard. Oh, my Lord, she oozed. You'll make me blush. And then (laughs) Bleacher says, fancy some worm water, you dot, 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 maggot, question mark, (laughs) which is the only time in the book I actually laughed out loud. <laughs> he's he's never ever used tender words in his life. And so his yep. best his only recourse is to use words of brutality in a lilting tone. <laughs> and she likes it. And she likes it. They are perfectly suited to one another. Every romance plot in Wonka works for me. <laughs> Sure. Scrubbin' and Bleacher work for me. I love those crazy kids. I hope they're happy together forever. Mm. And Basil the Zoo Guard and Gwenny the Mistress of the Keys made me cry. I was so moved. Yeah, by it was them good stuff. Kissing in the street. A plot that plot's not in the book. Uh that plot is not in the book. They do not get together, and they were not. Uh, it wasn't a giant coincidence that they were the ones calling each other. Yeah. What a beautiful thing. I was so moved by the, the coincidence of love. Um, I, it is, I mean, just to, not back in the text, but another change that Pounder makes is how getting into the vault works. There's this whole Putin-Nanny shenanigan that they all have to do to get the, like, combination to the vault to get into it, which is totally absent from the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I didn't even, I didn't even think of that. I didn't even think of that. I, I, I thought for sure that had to be a song or a montage or something. But yeah, as as Hannah is describing, there's this idea that each chocolatier of the chocolate cartel has three digits of this changing code, Ocean's Eleven style. The, ch- the code changes every day. And yep. they've identified where all three codes are. One has it on his shoe. One has it on his watch. One has it somewhere I forgot. And Inside his wig. Inside his wig. Inside the toupee. That's Pradno's. And yeah. they <laughs> send, you know, three of their their people around to basically get a glimpse of it all at the same time so they have the code. Yeah, I thought for sure. It's a very cinematic idea of those three things yeah. happening in tandem. And yeah, very shocked to see that that wasn't in the in the film. Me too. And I don't really know why. It's pretty fun. Prodnose's initial description is cool. The um, cat toupee? Yes. On page Huge fan of that. 54, it says, Prodnose was standing stiffly, as if he had been ordered to do so. He was short and squat, and wore a more colorful suit than the others, a mustard tartan two-piece. His toupee was spread flat on his round head, with a professional level of slicking. It was rumored the toupee was made from the hair of his late cat, and Willie found himself staring at it. In many ways, it was like meeting four famous people. That one was capitalized. <laughs> yeah, who can say why? He had heard a lot about the cat wig, and most people agreed the cat wore it better. Made me laugh. That I The cat wore it better. Made the cat funny. wore it better. Great line. 
the the recurring bit of the cat wig, which like almost every time something happens with the toupee, there's a mention that it's cat hair. And then at the end, as he's floating off, he's like, my cat. Oh, God, my cat. (laughs) Uh, And I like that little added touch that she continues to have and carry and use. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She's given herself a gift and she's enjoying it. The chocolates in this film are treated both as money in the sense that, I mean, we haven't talked about the police at all, but Keegan-Michael Key plays the chief of police who is corrupt, who is Mm -hmm. absolutely under the yoke of a chocolate addiction. And so uh, because chocolate can be bartered and consumed, they basically are doing a cop bribery plotline but it's as if they were going, we'll pay you in bricks of heroin, right? Yes, there is a line in the book where they are bribing, or he, the, the chief of police returns for more bribes, and he says something, I have it here somewhere, where is it? Help, I've run out, I've been eating these little paper cases for the past three days, and they're not even chocolate. You gotta help me, Mr. Slugworth, please. I got a taste for the brown stuff, I got it real bad. <laughs> To which I made a note. That should have been the intro. We're we're your hosts. Uh, we've got a taste for the brown stuff. We've got it real bad. Kind of a heroin joke. Just a phraseology joke about yes. being addicted to drugs. And I have a little note here that says, does this joke work in print for children? Yeah. It's just absurd. Yeah? I think it's just absurd. <laughs> okay. I think similar okay. to... The chocoholic monk line, which I commented on how it seemed a little more adult, but it also is just so silly sounding that Mm -hmm. you don't even need comprehension of really anything to find the phrase funny. And I I think I I think as a kid, I would laugh at that. Okay, okay, then asked and answered. Great. I just sort of felt like I could I could imagine in my brain as I was reading this book, Keegan Michael Key delivering it. And I remember thinking, yeah, that would be funny. That would be funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really depended for me on the rhythm of the words, wherein you get the joke. That is the like, I got it real bad. The, right. Right, whatever. Um, and I wonder. I was wondering. But he doesn't say and it. And then that line's not even in the movie. No, he doesn't say it. He doesn't even say it. <laughs> it's crazy. The relationship that the movie has to chocolate is interesting because they've created an unimpeachable protagonist. It's Mm. his food is drugs. His product is drugs. And people act like it's drugs. They get addicted to it as a joke. But the movie allows itself to have, the chocolates have the sway of drugs without ever showing a negative side, really. The idea is that he just sort of is a guy who is good for the world and everything he does is good for the world and how dare they get in the way. Sure, yeah. I mean, let there's really no seeds planted of the Willy Wonka who will someday kill four children for misbehaving mm. on a tour. I believe canonically alive, but yes. Well, that's good. Thank God. He's pretty <laughs> nasty to those kids, though. You know, like, he really is punishing them. Definitely. Um, well, he, he, that the Willy worst Wonka punishment will yell that happens kid. to anybody in this is the chocolate cartel float up into the sky, but mm-hmm. they'll come back down, we're told. Mm-hmm. And I guess scrub it and bleach or go to jail. That's it. Nobody's getting, like, turned into a blueberry, you know? Yes. Yeah. That's a great point, which is 
part of the thing that's lacking from this movie is that mean streak in general. And it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. have to be adult themes, adult jokes, anything like that. It's but yeah, there's there's a level of um of Schadenfreude to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory that uh, this movie does not want to engage in. I mean, as with any confection, any baker will tell you, your sweets need a little salt in them. Mm, mm-hmm. Your good things need a little nasty for them to all work. Otherwise, it's too sweet and it's boring and the, the flavors aren't good. You need a little something darker in there. And this movie is not doing that. There's some Willy characterization in this that I... Mm-hmm thought was compelling and i felt like the chalamet performance just wasn't capturing it so okay 149 now i've been saying how you know this idea of willy wonka as this pure spirit is bad but mm-hmm. the the book even outdoes chalamet it does the role of doe-eyed idiot funnier and more winning than his performance does <laughs> it, it has this line on 149 when 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 Larry does his underwater voice thing, right? Yeah. He goes, uh, I'm underwater, blup, blup. Willie clapped. I was transported, Larry. Really, I was. You're in. And that's not in the movie. And it's so, it makes you like the character so much that he is not <laughs> only this sort of peddler of wonder, he's also a guy that is so open to wonder. And he sees something Mm -hmm. amazing, no matter how small, and goes, that is incredible. You are on the team, my friend. I don't know how I'm going to use it. Yeah. I mean, it is really charming that then he does find a use for the underwater talking. It is. It's silly, and it's a gag, but it's like, he's like, you do have a skill, and we're going to put it to use, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I I feel like the book articulates it better that Willie himself can be an audience member, as in addition to a performer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. I have a silly amount of notes for the type of book that this is. <laughs> uh, great. I have a bunch of highlights, not a ton of notes, lines and details that I thought were charming. And in hindsight, I'm like, well, that's just something you had to put in the book because it's in the script. You know, like sure. when they discover that Willy Wonka is coming in and out of the storm drains. Mm. There is a line where the chief of police says to Officer Affable, who I wish was in more of the movie... I don't know the deal, but I was very charmed by that actor. And I was just like, oh, he was where great. is he? Yeah. He was great. Not given a ton to do, but a really winning, warm presence. Um, anyway, says, affable, I want an officer at every storm drain in the city. Are you sure, sir? Shouldn't we focus on all those unsolved murders? No, this is the priority, the chief says. Mm-hmm. And in reading the book, I was like, odd little funny kind of a funny but odd Mm. given the rest of the book and then it was just in the movie and i was like oh this is a script it's a script piece that you felt inclined to include um kind of takes the wonder off of the book i disagree for me i disagree i feel like i feel like that line on the page is very funny I, I think it probably works in the movie too i didn't laugh because i knew it already but uh i i think this is part of her job is to go uh i have all of these ideas i want to add in i have all these little plus ups and then also that one joke is good and it just goes in like wholesale just whole the whole joke is just going to be in here exactly as is i mean it's a pretty good joke and honestly it worked really well for me in the book and i was really impressed with it and i thought it was great and in the movie i was like oh 
script and somehow weirdly dark for the tone of this movie. Kind of a dark joke for the rest of the film. Can you do me a favor? And I can do it too, I guess. But, you know, I just have a lot. I really value my independence. Um, Could you just 10 or 11 years ago have a child? So that we can have a child that age to consult all the time. Gee, 10 or 11 years ago. So I would have been like 20 years old. Yeah. You know, honestly, when I was 20, I was being so reckless. Mm -hmm. It's kind of crazy I don't have a child. Sure. But I don't. So I'm so sorry, Andrew. I cannot go back and make my body more fertile. It must be nice to know you don't for sure. Uh, the <laughs> Fair point, my friend. There's no way to value these texts in relation to each other truly because we're yeah. different people. And it, whenever we do an episode of this podcast, we absorb one and then we absorb the other. And the, the one informs the other. And it's impossible to truly go in a vacuum. This one works better than this one. I kind of think in a vacuum, this book would be better than the movie because it knows what to pick. It knows what to keep. (laughs) It knows what to get rid of. And Mm -hmm. it has this whole language aspect that I'll be honest for a a movie that's supposed to be so visual. I do not think the visuals are firing on the cylinders that the language are firing on. I agree with you. I, there is a visual gag towards the end of the movie where Willie is on that ship leaving because he's made a deal and he has been exiled and he opens the cabin door to a giant pile of dynamite. Yes. Of just like traditional TNT sticks taped together with burning fuses. Yes, yes. Fucking cartoon shit. Immediately followed by a box of chocolate as big as a truck being placed on the roof of a car. (laughs) I wish the whole movie was that That level of cartoon visual. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, this is it. This is what I need for this to really sing. Is like pure cartoonishness. Um, And I think you're totally right. The movie is not doing any of that. And the book is able to do more of it in ways that like the language can be cartoon playful in a way that the movie is not interested in. Mm. So it's ever so slightly too grounded. Definitely. So I I wrote uh, in my Letterboxd review that I felt like this... That the, 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 the gritty reboot of, of 2006, 2007 was alive and well, and that we had just given it this sort of Paddington sheen. And mm-hmm. I just was really thinking about Batman Begins during this movie a lot. <laughs> okay. And I was trying to figure out why. And I think it's because even though on their surface, a movie like that and a movie like this seems so different, they're based in this idea of we all see this thing as mostly goofy, fun, nostalgic. But what if I gave it the most credible read possible? What if I went, it'd be really hard to be Bruce Wayne and to lose your parents and to go through all that. What are the reasons that underpin what he does? And in Mm -hmm. the Batman trilogy, the Nolan one, it leads to uh, brutality, literal darkness, you know, it, 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 it leads to that aesthetic. In Wonka... And Cruella, they're going, even though they're half-assing the details, they're not letting these people be evil, it feels like they're taking this sitcom-y approach to these characters, where they're going, I know that that's a complicated character, but but 
he must have reasons for what he's doing, right? Let me let me really give him the benefit of the doubt and follow that where it leads. And it's uh I but it it doesn't they're not really like this is what I find so frustrating about Corella. There's no reason at the end of Corella that she can't still not like dogs. Yes. She can still be a dog hater. And every you know, like there's no reason. It's weird to me in this movie that Willy Wonka's best friend is a child. Yeah. That man doesn't really like children. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. It's it's bizarre and I don't see why we have to like grind down all like that's not a credible read to me. No, I, I like that's not coming at it from like best faith. I agree with you. I think right? what I'm I think what I'm saying. I mean, I'm going to say something crazy here, but I think maybe Batman Begins is a better movie than Wonka. Uh, <laughs> I I think that both of those types of ideas are born from the same place, but this current execution we're seeing these days is crazy stupid. Where it's like, <laughs> okay, yes, it's like instead of thinking of the essence of the character, instead of thinking of what is Batman, what is he all about? Let me write a story that leads us to that point. They're just going, this must be a good guy or this must be a good, a good. They're the protagonist. So they must be good. <laughs> yes, exactly. They're like the, it feels as though, especially in Cruella, it feels as though if I went up to Craig Gillespie and I said, uh, have you ever thought about writing a movie with a villain protagonist that he would go, aren't those opposites? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, Really embarrassing for everybody involved, especially Corella, the most objectively evil woman in yeah. like the canon of Disney but films. It, she just wants to slaughter dogs. It's Corella's a more extreme example, but I think it's going on here heavily. Yeah. Which is just we will make a movie where Willy Wonka is the protagonist, protagonist equals good. He will literally have no bad traits at all. There isn't even a plot in this thing where he goes, I really shouldn't have talked to Noodle that way or anything. Yeah, that's bizarre. He never poisons anybody with a chocolate. Never. You know, he never like makes a mistake in his formulating or behaves poorly or yells at someone. It's also his relationship with Noodle is so fucking weird. Yeah. Especially in the film, especially, I think because Chalamet, to me, still reads very young. Like, I don't buy him as like an adult person. Agreed. And Noodle is not seven years old. She's like 14. Mm. So there are moments when I'm like, is this romantic? Because gross. Mm -hmm. Incorrect <laughs> read on the chemistry happening here. Like weird. Um, but he's not old enough to be like a father figure. But it's weird that he's an adult man friends with a child. Yep. Like the whole thing is fucking weird. That's a great point. They're trying to. They're trying to tow... They're trying to play both sides of his weird nebulous presenting. <laughs> it's just a choice. I don't understand why you would make that way based on the character that you're in the sandbox you're playing in, right? Mm -hmm. The character sandbox. I, it's just so strange. Or a man who has spent a long time alone in a factory to be like, you know what he does? He makes friends everywhere he goes. That's what he does. Bizarre. It's possible they have a bigger plan for this series, but <laughs> this complaint that we're both iterating on here feels borne out in the end of the movie where as we said this movie is so 
afraid to engage with anything negative about this character that at the end they go, and that means we can't even set up the real character, the real movie, because he went through some bad stuff. And we certainly can't allow for the fact that he straight up enslaved those Oompa Loompas. Definitely not. He convinced that Oompa Loompa to come join him and give him a job. (laughs) Okay. I Just a random, we could complain forever. Just a random (laughs) thing I liked in the book. There's no reason that Shabale had to go this hard on this passage. Willie has figured out how to sneak around the city. It says, It was like a whole other world down there, deep under the ground. As the days passed, the underground passageways became like a home to him. He would skip around with jars of chocolate, tipping his hat to rats as he passed by. In fact, Willie was able to get all over town using the storm drain tunnels, and soon he was popping up everywhere. His mysterious appearances were all anyone was talking about. Everyone wanted him to magically materialize next to them. The whole city was desperate for Willy Chocolates. Uh, it's, it's good in the sense that it is accomplishing what the song accomplishes. He's getting around town in the sewers, giving people chocolates. It's sort of telling you that that's exciting for people because it can't show you that that's exciting. But the thing that really impresses me here is she goes the extra step to go, and he developed this whole relationship with being underground. He thought it ruled. He was there all the time. It made him feel alive. Yeah, all this stuff works. It's good. It's impossible to reconcile with Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, 1970-whatever mm-hmm. one. Um, impossible to reconcile. And it seems vaguely impossible to reconcile with Roald Dahl's original novel. To the point when I'm like, why did you feel the need to make this a Wonka thing? Could you have made it an independent story? Hmm. Not quite as written, obviously. No, because it doesn't stand on its own merits. It would be... I mean, obviously not. No. It it barely stands on a Wonka merit. Speaking of standing, when his shop falls apart. And so Willie stood alone, knee-deep in his broken dreams, watching the last of the barge disappear into the bubbling river. A single Mm -hmm. tear rolled down his cheek. Pretty good. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the shop, when they briefly have the shop, Mm-hmm. Uh, I think is compellingly described. And that's a song. That's a whole song mm-hmm. that I preferred as not a song, I think, in the <laughs> book. Um, I do really like the child who grows a mustache who in the book is like, I like it. I want to keep yes, it. Yes. I'm not mad. I like it. And then I, I, I wrote down, is this a Britishism? I don't know. It, instead of it suits me, I suit it. I think that's a funny, I think that's just a funny little gag. Okay, great. I thought I don't it was think funny. It's a particular Britishism. It is funny to be like, I look good in a mustache. I suit the mustache. And then, honestly, when her mom cuts down a chandelier and burns the place to the ground, I was like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> this is too much. This is an escalation that I think is unreasonable. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the different ending that this book has. Sure. Uh, we get this epilogue where Noodle is living with her mother in the library. Uh, And she gets a note from Willy Wonka. It says, Dear Noodle, I once promised you a lifetime supply of chocolate, and Willy Wonka always keeps his word. In your house, you've got hot and cold running water, of course. But I changed it. You now have hot and chocolate. My chocolate. She twisted the tap and gasped as rich, melted chocolate gushed out of it. 
Whenever you drink it, I hope you'll think of me. I know I'll be thinking of you. Your friend, Willy Wonka. P.S. If you ever need to get in touch, simply ask the little orange man with the green hair. And she's sitting around thinking, there he goes again with the little orange man with the green hair. This guy's crazy. But then he sees the little orange man with the green hair. And we still end on a shot of the Wonka factory that will be, like the movie does. But instead of it being Willy Wonka dancing around in an empty castle, it is the Oompa Loompa jumping out the window like Birdman and (laughs) just... Yeah, he has those little wings that he uses one time. (laughs) He has the little wings that he uses one time, and it says, Noodle rushed over and watched with utter joy as the Oompa Loompa dipped low, skimming the cobbles, then swooped up and soared off into the night. He flew up high past the silhouettes of a factory, and as he glided over it, the sign on the roof burst to life and lights. Just one word, more delicious than moonlight. Wonka. And Wonka is stylized as the title of the book. It's in huge print. And I like the turn of phrase, just one word more delicious than moonlight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like this. Um, I like that Willie's going to keep in touch with his friend Noodle. Much at the end of the story feels different between book two movie. Mm-hmm. The rescue of Willie and Noodle from drowning in chocolate, where she sees the Oompa Loompa then and is like, wow. Yeah, I guess that, that covers that. Um, weird little situation. Uh, as opposed to in in the book, obviously she doesn't because later she has this Oompa Loompa encounter. Um, I mean, I will say that my mother was so tickled by Hugh Grant as the Oompa Loompa. <laughs> Every time he was visible, she was giggling because he's. I think because he's so little. He's so little. I found it a little a little horrifying. I found him a little tough to look at. <laughs> the whole the whole thing is yeah yeah. Yes. <laughs> the effect, the concept, the execute, the whole thing is horrifying. It is. And they have, again, I don't really remember the Gene Wilder version, um, but I feel like the Oompa Loompas are largely treated as like weird little savages. Sure. Definitely. Right. And so to go so far in the opposite direction that you have Hugh Grant, British gentleman, mm. doing British uppity poncy pont stuff, wearing a series of yachting outfits. <laughs> um I don't know. There was a there was an article in the newspaper, the Santa Fe New Mexican recently, that was perhaps an Associated Press syndicated column. I don't know. But the column was how do you solve a problem like an Oompa Loompa? And it was just like, these are racist and awful. Like what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> it was it was a, quite a read. That's interesting. I, I I guess maybe I'm revealing my ignorance, but I thought that the skin and hair color of the Oompa Loompa was so outlandish that it would not be considered uh, racist. Um, Again, I haven't read the book, but this article was like, in the original text, Dahl wrote them as African pygmies that Wonka like tricks into slavery. Oh, that's not good. Which kind of inherently is racist. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Um, It's pretty bad. Pretty bad. Hannah Blackman. Yeah. You are... A prolific podcast host. (laughs) You read over 100 novelizations for a podcast that you co-host with a hunk. Mm -hmm. You (laughs) recorded an episode that was the 100th novelization. And on that episode, 
You referred to it being the 100th novelization a bunch. And Mm -hmm. also, at one point, you guessed how many overall episodes were out, and you hit it exactly. And then, through sheer appetite, because you had to cover Wonka by Shabale Pounder, you pushed both of those back an episode. So that the 100th episode is now going to be the 101st, and your guess will be wrong. How do you feel having read this book? Okay, fine. Mm. Uh... As I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, the numbers of this podcast mean nothing to me. I'm just happy to be here with my friend, experiencing a variety of artistic endeavors in all sorts of directions. And this one was kind of fun to read, mm. having not seen the movie. Uh, I do think it's like a good children's book. It is weird the number of times she just makes a word big. There's basically one on almost every page, and they seem almost... Vaguely, sometimes arbitrary. That seems low to me. One on every page? Yeah, there seem there. I have pages that have two or three. Two? Yeah. Okay. This is the Kindle in action, yeah. you know? But I had a good time reading it. It didn't kill me. The movie, I think, is fine. Fine. Three stars. Fine. Wow. It's okay. Wow. I like seeing British television actors pop up in movies, so I have no complaints with the films of Paul King. I wouldn't really hand... If, you know, if some kid was like, I saw Wonka and I liked it, can I read a book? I'd be like, sure, read a rolled doll. <laughs> I wouldn't hand over the novelization of Wonka. If you burn through the entire rolled doll collection, then come <laughs> back and talk to me. I might have an idea. I mean, I, I sent you a voicemail about this. But when I tried to buy a hard copy of this book, I went to the only bookstore in Santa Fe that sells <laughs> new books. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find it on the shelves or on any of the display tables. And I had to ask a gentleman do you have this book? Mm. And he looked at me like I was insane. Mm. And then I came up with further lies where I was like, I have a nephew. We went to see Wonka. He loved it. He's read all the rolled dolls though. Like I had to create a very serious scenario wherein I would be (laughs) buying this book for someone else. (laughs) And I think that speaks, now that I've read it, that remains true. You know what I mean? Uh, No, the last point I didn't get. It remains true that what? That I would have to have a very specific scenario. Oh, I see, to I see. Hand this book to someone. Uh, Andrew Overby. Yes. You are a very successful chocolatier. Mm. You have been making chocolate for a long time and you've been very successful at it. Then mm. some fucking snot nosed punk rolls up into your town with a bunch of weirdo goddamn chocolate and ruins your fucking life. You go to prison. Damn. It's rough for you because you're kind of a natty guy. Right. And I'm like a known it's hard. people hate me. Uh, Well, now they do. Now mm, they do. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you did bad things and everybody knows about it. But you have a lot of time to kill in prison. And you would like a little more information about this schmuck who rolled up and ruined your chocolate shop and life. So you read Wonka by Chabelle Pounder. Do you like it? Does it help you? Do you hand it off to the other two of your cohorts who are, of course, in cells on either side of you? Yeah, so I look at this book. I read it. I'm ready to hate it because I hate Willy Wonka and what he did to me. And I I turn to my prison mates and I say, you know what? We should have just let him walk all over us from the beginning. This guy's awesome. I like the book. (laughs) I think the book's good. You know, I'm grading on something of a curve because it's a kid's book, but... It's doing so much, and it's got it's got a verve to it that a lot of 400-page 
novelizations for adults about quote-unquote serious movies, they don't have that verve. So I'm a big Wonka fan. I uh, would not have read this book on its own. The but But the thing is that the book on its own is enjoyable to me, and the movie on its own is not enjoyable to me. I, I I don't hate that I saw it. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen, but I thought it wasn't good. And I thought this was kind of fun. So, yeah, I think Chabelle Pounder, the right type of person to be hiring for a job like this. And while I'll never, ever touch this book again, if we, for some reason, needed to cover a Pounder in the future, I'd be into it. Yeah. Well, I hope she writes more novelizations. I hope she gets that opportunity because she did a good job with this one. She gave it some life. I Absolutely. Agree. And I hope she emails me back. Oh, I hope so. Hannah, we are at the end of 2023 here. This will be the last episode coming out in 2023. Uh, season wow. six, which we're, of course, we're going to stop numbering the seasons. We're going to call it the the uh, 1960s and earlier season begins next week. How are you Can't feeling? How are you feeling fun. about the 2023 year? Oh, it went by so fast. It was full of highs and lows. It gave me gifts. It took things away. I had a great time this year with you, Andrew. I always do. It, it's been a I'm it's been a so wonderful grateful. it's been a wonderful wonderful year. What would your guess be as yeah. to the first episode we released in 2023? Oh my god. Um I, I <laughs> We've covered so many books this year. I can't even begin. And January feels like a lifetime ago. Like Agreed. literally a lifetime. I have no I have no clue. <laughs> I have literally zero clue. Okay. So You could say anything and I'd be like, uh-huh. Yeah, so the first episode released in 2023 was National Treasure Uncharted with Annie Ulrich and Chase Wheaton Worley. Oh my god. Wow. The uh the thing about doing a, a, a themed season, as we did for, for this upcoming season, so uh, the next yeah. 12 novelizations we cover are all from the 1960s or earlier. We've got, off the top of your head, Hannah, how many do you think you can name <laughs> out of the 1960s? Of our season? 1960s? Yeah. Uh, okay, let's see. Let's see. Um, Rare Breed. Great yep. Race. Yep. Ocean's Eleven. Yep. Robin and the Seven Hoods. Yep. Um, Flubber. Was son not of, part son of, of this. Son of Flubber was part son of Son of Flubber was. But Absent Minded Professor was not. Yes, it, it was. It was also. Okay, cool. <laughs> 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 um, I, this is half, right? That's of 12? Half. Mm -hmm. That's half. Um, 2001 A Space Odyssey? Yep. May I have a clue? <laughs> uh, a hallway you don't want to be in. Oh, Shock Corridor. Shock Corridor, of course, coming of up course. next week, our first one. Really fun. Really good one. Uh, um, Play Dirty. Play Dirty, of course. Uh, how about we had this a big for a fight. hit? 1960s and before. The the fight, of course, cut out of the episode. No one will be hearing it. Oh, King Kong. Kapow. King King Kong. A great one. Um, That's 10. This is good. This is close. This is good. I think I know the two you're missing. Uh uh a movie you really love with a friend of yours where you guys try to convince me why it's good Ooh, right but i already said the great race with a friend of yours with a friend of mine i do have friends hmm 
this is bad. How about this? The other movie stars someone that you think is too cute to be mean to, but everyone is. Oh, of course, the Pink Panther. The Pink Panther, yes. And the Pink Panther. The one you're missing, West Side Story. Ah, yes, West Side Story. That do- That's so crazy. It just doesn't feel 60s to me. It feels so modern. It feels so contemporary, you know? Well, that makes one of us. It's so of the moment. <laughs> 12 episodes that are pretty much all just bangers. Just... Well, I really can't wait for our upcoming seasons that will be themed... Emotional love stories, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'll definitely cut. I might cut that out just to be able to preserve <laughs> uh, some autonomy and planning things. Yeah, but... me trying to like pimp us into shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I understand that I don't make the choices here. I'm just along for the ride. But yes, many, many of those uh, episodes were recorded long ago, and they are all mm-hmm. so, so good. We're excited for people to hear them. But in planning yeah. a themed season. We ended up with this structure where when people wanted to record episodes that were outside of the 1960s or before, we just recorded the episode and put it out fucking right away. And so yeah, baby. we accidentally covered a full season's worth of novelizations <laughs> between the last season, which ended with The Cat from Outer Space, and now. So wow. Hannah and I are going to just rank these 12 novelizations that we covered uh, just because, uh, you know, it's fun. And it was such a motley crew of books. Here are the eligible titles, because it all gets so confusing. The eligible novelizations. Wonka, Blowout, Quadrophenia, Labyrinth, Men in Black, The Cabin in the Woods, Blood and Wine, Halloween 3, Noah, The Deer Hunter, Grease 2, and Bram Stoker's Dracula. Hannah, are you in a position to rank these from 12 to 1? 12, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Shitty. Shitty novelization. Shitty novelization made worse by its immediate comparison to a much better book. Mm. 11, Blood and Wine. Fucking trash. Huh? Okay. Sucks. Has nothing to add. Wow. That's where we landed on that one, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know. Ten, Noah. Mm. Nine, Cabin in the Woods. Eight, Labyrinth. Seven, Quadrophenia. Six, Wonka. Five, Halloween. Three, four, Grease. Two, three, The Deer Hunter. Two, Men in Black. One, Blowout. Wow, one Blowout. Does that feel good to you? I mean, it feels good to me. It's an interesting. It's an interesting choice. I'll say that. Um, okay, here's mine. Following my heart only. Here's mine. Number 12, Noah. Can't remember anything about it except that while (laughs) I was reading it, I thought, I can tell it's not different from the movie, and I haven't seen the dang movie. Mm. 11, Mm -hmm. Dracula. Only not 12 because it does a couple interesting, weird things that are bad choices, which is better (laughs) than doing nothing. Sure. 10, The Deer Hunter. Unobjectionable, unanythingable. Grease 2 at number 9. Uh, Grease 2 grew in my estimation as we got further away from it. I think I really undersold in that episode how the author was a, just a good writer of sentence, writer of paragraph flow. I thought he I, I thought he had a way with words even though he was uh, cowardly in his storytelling. Mm. Number 8, Blood and Wine. Can barely remember it, but I do remember that it 
fucked up and deflated some tense moments that work very well in the movie. <laughs> Number sure. seven, Blowout Crazy Book. If you like Blowout, read the Blowout novelization. You might despise it, but holy shit, crazy, weird book. Number six, The Cabin in the Woods. Uh, kind of boring. Makes a couple interesting choices about character. And remember how weirdly vulgar that book got for no reason? Yeah, huh? Kind of fun. Number five, Labyrinth. Uh, number four, Wonka. You had Wonka somewhere similar? Six. Yeah, Wonka. I like it. I like it. Number three. Top half. Quadrophenia. Just so weird. I liked it. I thought it was crazy the way that he kept putting lyrics in the book and kept sure. switching perspectives and, you know. I might have just been drunk on us doing a concept album. That felt new to us. Number two, Men in Black. I think... Jinx, baby. I think that this book... I was thinking about this a lot since I put this list together. I think this book is not the best one we've ever read. It's not the worst one we've ever read. But if we were to empirically express not what novelizations should be, but what they are and have been historically... This is maybe the most novelization novelization we've ever read. Mmm, fascinating. It just feels like a typical novelization in the sense that you go, I guess I'm glad I read that. That was kind of interesting. Yeah, it has a bunch of alien interiority. It's really fun. Number one, same author top in my list, two rankings in a row. Jack Martin with Halloween 3. Mm. Very sexist, very fucked up book, but... yeah. I just remember that book being so vile to me that I couldn't, in good conscience, put it very high. It is it's in the top half. pretty morally objectionable, <laughs> but it gets away a little bit with it for me because I hate women. Um, no, because <laughs> it gets away with it a little bit for me because it gets to couch the vileness in this character mm -hmm. has XYZ problem which didn't make me hate it as much as the books for the authors. Like, they were approached by some fat slobs. <laughs> True that. <laughs> yeah, good list, man. This was a, this, this was fun. It was fun to read all of these. It's always a pleasure. I look forward to the future that lies ahead of us. Wow. Really, it seemed it sounded all really positive before the listing, and now you seem. I was just like midway through saying it. I was like, "What am I saying immediately after this?" And I didn't have anything. And I wanted to. I wanted to ask you like two roll doll questions that I don't think need to be part of the episode. So I was like, "I'll save those till we're done." But like, I was like, "Are we done?" Mm. To our listeners, please remember to rate our podcast, review it, subscribe to it. Check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash authorized pod. Let us know, I guess, you know, in our Patreon comments or in reviews, whether you would like to see some bonus episode content. We will do it if we know that people would listen. It's just kind of unclear whether that would happen at this juncture. So let us know. Also, if you leave us a five-star review on Apple or iTunes in which you novelize a scene from your favorite movie. Write one paragraph where you're saying X did, you know, blah, 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 Y did, blah, blah, blah. And we'll go, oh my God, I think that's this scene from Back to the Future. We'll do that on air. That will be fun for you. So yeah, five stars, Apple or iTunes. Yeah, I'd probably have fun with it too. And as usual, 
I'm going to close out the episode by reading a passage from a classic piece of literature. Please do tweet at AuthorizedPod if you think that you recognize what this is from. Just a second. Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> work it on it. Oh, I ha- I'll do it. Okay, I'll do, do it. it, Hannah. Do it. I okay. I'll do it. <laughs> okay. So, um, oh my god, I've never done this before. This is so much, so much pressure. No, you're good. You'll do great. But really, Noodle said as they swam out of a slew of chocolate and gasped for breath. Now that we have access to this amazing amount of chocolate, shouldn't we use it to better our own lives and get rich? Willie shook his head. Oh, Noodle, we must not think of ourselves. A novel by Lauren Grodstein. Is that too good? It's good. It's good. Does it fit too well into the scenario I wrote for myself? No, you're good. You're good. Just On You just got to say good night. Okay, good night. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that opportunity. We are now cursed uh, as a people with this genre of what if blah, but young. It's just something we're (laughs) going to have to deal with for probably eight more years and then it'll fall out of style. But this will be remembered as the second really famous one out of 25. In the spirit of that, uh, that that hell, that imprisonment that we find ourselves in. (laughs) Yeah. I'm here to ask you, this is young whom? Okay. Or who is this old? Yes, the subtitle "Who is this old?" So what will happen here mm. is I will show you a character in their younger form portrayed by a certain mm-hmm. actor. I would like you to tell me for no points, just for the benefit of the audience, what this is from, and okay. uh, for for the actual point, the actor that portrays their older self. Okay. Okay. So we'll, uh, we'll see how this goes. We'll see how this goes. Up first, this is Young Whom. Oh, this is um, from Men in Black 3. This is Josh Brolin playing a young Tommy Lee Jones. This is, of course, Josh Brolin in Men in Black 3 playing a young Tommy Lee Jones. Did I search Google Images trying to find a shot of him in a suit from Inherent Vice that I could try to pass off as Men in Black or vice versa? Yeah. Very different hairstyles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hard to get a good photo where his hair isn't in it. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, who is this old? Oh, 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 oh. This is Joseph Gordon-Levitt in Looper, where he is a young Bruce Willis. This is, of course, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in Looper, where he is a young Bruce Willis. I, I will say this movie came out in, what, 2012? And sure. I always liked movies, but I didn't watch so many and i didn't know joseph gordon levitt that well uh back then and i spent four years thinking 
that his face basically looked like this. And that'd be fun. Yeah, it's I like strangely prefer it because it's how I came to know him. <laughs> sure, <laughs> it's a pretty successful prosthetic job. I think it's really good. It's really good, and and it is an interesting call on Ryan Johnson's part to go. I think the baby facedness of this man's actual face would mm-hmm. bring people out of the movie. Yeah, I mean, Bruce Willis has a very distinctive profile, I think, nose to forehead connection. Mm. And that's what they capture with the makeup. Up next, who is this old? Oh. What are we looking at here? Well, this is Timmy Chalamet, who we've just, of course, spent up to three hours talking about. <laughs> I don't recognize this. I don't know what no, this it's, is. No, it's an unwinnable slide. No one's ever seen of this seen this movie. No one's ever heard of it. I didn't know about it okay. before making this game. Do you want to give me the title and I'll see if maybe it rings a bell? Uh, yes, this is from a movie called The Adderall Diaries. Oh my God. Uh-uh. Never heard of it. Seems fake. Just a delight to find this. Uh, this little <laughs> punk Timothy Chalamet uh, is, of course, playing a young James Franco in the Adderall what? Diaries. Yes. Wow. Wow. Ew. And also, I can see it. Like, ew, but I can see it. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? It's it's more little brother energy, but we'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. Up next. This is the young version of whom? Oh. Oh, I... I rec. Uh, oh, okay. This is the young version of Jody Foster in Contact. You've absolutely nailed it, Hannah. Do you have any Ooh. idea who this actress is who is still famous? It looks like Jenna Malone. That's who it is. Damn, I'm crushing it, except for that one that was impossible. <laughs> except for that one that was unwinnable. This is, of course, <laughs> Jenna Malone as young Jody Foster in Contact. Wow. Nice. Ooh, I've just seen this shot recently on Twitter, I feel like, and that helped me. Mm, this, like, mm-hmm. trick mirror shot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Up next, who is this old? Oh, oh, okay. This is Sophia Lillis in It Part 1, and in It Part 2, she's Jessica Chastain. This is, of course, Sophia Lillis in It Part 1, and mm-hmm. in Part 2, she's Jessica Chastain. Incredible. You're on a... Roll. Let's see if we can keep it going. This person is a a young version of what character portrayed by what actor? The worst title I've come up with yet. (laughs) Oh, oh, Sophia Lillis again. And I don't know what this is. I mean, I'm happy to take a generalized guess. It feels like the fact that this is young redhead casting is at least gives you a bit of a, a narrower pool. Let me let me just toss out an Amy Adams. This is of course Sophia Lillis in Sharp Objects as young Amy Adams. Dang! Dang. I get that point. Of course. That point's for me. Of course. Wow. I didn't see Sharp Objects. You should watch Sharp Objects just for the Henry Zerny of it all. I didn't know he was in it. Good for Zerny. Alright, I'm sold. Up next. Who is this, and who shall they become in Hollywood? Ah, uh, of course, of course. This is Jessica Huynh, what's her name, in Mamma Mia 2, and she grows up to be Christine Baranski. All right, this is, of course, everything you said. This is Christine Baranski in Mamma Mia 2, portrayed by a different, younger woman. 
I love in Mamma Mia 2 where they're like, nobody's changed their hairstyles in 50 years. <laughs> Iconic. Up next. This person is young. In other versions of the story or other scenes, they're old. And who portrayed them? Uh, I kind of like know this mean kid's face. Mm. Kid looks familiar to me. This is a movie we've covered on the podcast. Really? Yes. Hmm. Oh, 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 oh my gosh. Yes, this is the kid from Butterfly Effect having a bad time watching his sister get molested. And I the ooh, don't remember the grown-up. Because this isn't Ashton. It's impossible to know this actor's name, so I forgive that. Can you remember this character's name? Oh my god. Tommy? You got it. This is, of course, Cameron Bright as young Tommy in the butterfly effect. We'll see many versions of old Tommy, but in all the various different timelines, this actor still doesn't have a career ahead of him. Who is this guy? Up next... If old and a real person, an actor perhaps, who would it be? Oh, this is sweet baby Nikki Holt in X-Men First Class through whatever they were all called. And he grows up to be Kelsey Grammer. (laughs) I wasn't sure if you were going to totally be able to thread the needle of the specific Nicholas Holt role and also it's the Kelsey Grammer character, but you just got all of it. (laughs) I got you, baby. I got it. Yeah, that's every... That's every part. I've seen X-Men First Class like a hundred (laughs) times. And I've seen the second one in that sequence like five times. So I got it. I got it. Days of Future Past. Is that the second one? Yeah, that one's good. That one's pretty good. Then they kind of drop off. (laughs) Up next. This person's young. Who would they be old as an actor? Uh, is this young Sheldon? (laughs) If it were, who would it be old as an actor? Um, what's his name? Jim Parsons? Is that his name? This is, of course, young Sheldon, who will oh grow up God. to be regular Sheldon, Jim Parsons. Oh, that kid's face has changed a lot. That's what I was going to say. This is a very recent, I want to say season six, young Sheldon photo. And wow. I understand why they have decided to end the show, because this kid yeah. is not so young no more. He is not growing up to look like Jim Parsons either. No. He's growing up to look like Max Greenfield. <laughs> I, who's that? Crazy. From New Girl? He kind of looks like, to me, not Charlie yeah. Sheen man from Two and a Half Men. Oh, John Cryer. Interesting. There's a little Cryer in this kid. All right. A little bit. I see it. Up you know, next. I just saw, this. Is, cut this out, Go. but I just saw the trailer for the new Ghostbusters in a movie theatra, mm-hmm. and I was looking at Finn Wolfhard, and I was like, that kid is growing up ugly. He was such a cute kid, and he is not growing up into a cute adult. I hope he figures it out. Do we have to cut it? (laughs) No, I guess you don't. But I didn't want to like detract from the rhythm of the game. The the thing that I love about the new Ghostbusters trailer is it goes, uh, oh, it's the day after tomorrow scenario, and trust us, it's ghosts. Trust us. It's just (laughs) at no point in that trailer do they explain how it's a Ghostbusters movie. Yeah, they're just like we promise iconography you're welcome yeah (laughs) all right up next this is our last slide the you know you know if this person was older and also portrayed by someone who would it be oh my god it's timmy again oh i know this this is interstellar and he grows up to be casey affleck 
Hannah, you might be correct. Please give me the other person on screen. Oh, the little lady who grows up to be Jessica Chastain. We on the final slide here see the return of Timothy Chalamet, who grows up to be Casey Affleck. And of course, the return of Jessica Chastain, who grows down to be this no-name girl. (laughs) Wow. Wow. For a second, I had this awful feeling where I was like, does he grow up to be Topher Grace? I remember Topher Grace appearing in this movie and me being surprised. But no. But no? I knew in my heart what was right. Well, good game. Good game. Incredible uh, game craft here, huh? Seeing seeing t- these two people come come back and, and back together in the final slide kind of leaves you in awe. 